it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's Keenan, dropping, looking, throwing near sideline, and it's caught by Stephon Diggs, who's going to take it inside the 15, 10, 5, touchdown on the final play of this game. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? He could have came up and just tackled him. He stuck, put his head down, and he didn't step out of bounds, Jim. They're going to review it, but he didn't step out of bounds. Ah, uh, now that young guy doing the Saints, uh, he didn't he didn't have that southern drawl to him or anything, did he? Uh, the guy doing the Saints play-by-play there. And, I think uh, that's the, is that the uh, Jim Henderson guy I think that's been doing the Saints games for a long time? Really? Doesn't I sound so. like it. Doesn't sound like it. And then the, uh, who's his uh, analyst? There, I'm not sure know? who his color guy was. but He, he uh, was a little more depressed than the other guy. <laughs> well, that's the Saints, uh, uh, that's the Saints on a, unenthusiastic description of uh, what happened in that game yesterday. So I, uh, you know, I'm down here in Fort Myers and I, I talked about this earlier with Joe. I was looking for a bar to watch, to, to go talk to some Viking fans. So, you know, so I always enjoy the, uh, the, when you're someplace else to see where they, where they're hanging out and stuff like that. I ended up in the, on the beach at uh, Fort Myers beach in that little shopping area, bar area there offhand at the, uh, at the uh, lighthouse Tiki bar. It's a little motel. And then there's a, a bar attached to it. And there's, they have all the games on and there's various collections of, ath- of uh, fans watching in various or areas of the bar. But there's, they had a patio now that they had two big TVs set up that it was taken over by the Viking fans, and there was at least 100 of them there, right? And they're transplants, snowbirds, just people visiting. And uh, there's also this uh, collection of uh, uh, for a bachelorette party. There were 12 of them there, and, and I think at least 10 or 11 of them had their Viking garb on, so they packed their Viking garb when they came down here for the bachelorette party. And the gal I was talking to was a young lady named Mackenzie Weber, who's from Benson. And the, the bride-to-be was uh, Carrie Mickelson, and she's a lifelong friend from Benson. But point being, I'm always fascinated by the emotional attachment of People like this from this generation, you know, 20, high, you know, 20s, early 30s, whatever, to the Vikings that has been inherited, this this emotional attachment. And I'm, you know, I know the Randy Moss 
re- weekend warrior crowd that discovered him in 98 and they like to drink and go get hammered. <laughs> but the people who are watching him in bars and watching him and games and watching him, figuring out a place to watch him when they're in Florida and stuff like that, and especially women, you know, you, you, you know, women who have been taught this by their fathers and uh, their mothers the, to be emotionally invested in the Vikings. And as I mentioned, uh, Steve Russian has a piece on SI.com. I, I tweeted it out there that you can read it about how he's relatives all over Minnesota are contacting him, his sister, and they're sending out pictures of this eight-year-old boy, this eight-year-old nephew of his leaping up in the air happily. And I guess, you know, everybody enjoyed the Twins, right? Winning the World Series, everybody mm-hmm. enjoyed that. You can enjoy the Timberwolves. You can. It used to be that way with gopher football. It's not anymore, and for good reason. But there is that. I guess my problem in figuring it out is I never really had that because when I was a kid, it was go for football, right? That's yeah. what we that's what we lived and died with. And then the Vikings come to town, and for those of us that were hardcore Gopher fans, they were almost intruders, you know. Yeah. They were they 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 kind of came in here and they were intruded. And Murray, you know, the first year. The Vikings were here. Murray went to a second straight Rose Bowl. Mm. And then all of a sudden, the crowd started getting smaller at Memorial Stadium. And, uh, you know, and then I got into the sports writing business and, and, and naturally. But I never became a Viking fanatic uh, emotionally because by the time my fan days ended, the you know, that's when the transition of the Gophers, the ship basically, what people don't remember, I guess, is in the early 60s, the Gophers were still bigger than the, than Vikings. the Vikings. Yeah, the, during yeah. the Van Brocklin era. It wasn't until they went to the playoffs, really. And I always say that uh, 67 is the jumping off point because the Gophers tied for the Big Ten title. And then Bud was in his second year in 68, and they made the playoffs. So 68, it started to change. By then, I was not. I I was out of my fanboy thing, you know, and I still loved going to baseball games and loved that part of it. But it is amazing the way, and I know we're not as goofy about it as the Packers are because there's more going on here than there is in Green Bay, and right. you know. But it is amazing to me when I see thirty-year-old gals, for want of a better term living and dying with the Vikings and being absolutely crazed. And this Viking, uh, this attachment, and I think it really probably goes back to Bud and the glory years from uh, 69 through 76. They won nine playoff games, went to four Super Bowls, and they they were the heroes of the Twin Cities. I mean, the heroes of the state of Minnesota, and I think it's been passed down through generations. That's You don't have an 8-year-old girl crying in the closet because Gary Anderson missed a field goal if she hasn't learned that behavior, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They learned to, so it is a, it's a different it's a different animal than any other sport 
in this town in this town uh the 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 and I'm not I'm not talking about the people at the games. I think that's all the stories we're gonna read. They gotta go to every game or stuff. I'm talking about the people out there in the hinterlands who are happier today than they've been in years because they won that game. Well let me ask you this. how much of it do you think has to do with you know, if you look at all the sports teams in town, you know, and I'll include the Gophers in this because the Gopher, I mean, the Gophers have been the mainstay in that they've they've always been, you know, the 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 university of this state. Yes. Um, but it seems like the, the fifth but, major league franchise. Yeah, but the Vikings, if you look around, like the Vikings have been the only other like consistent like mainstay here because the Wolves didn't come till '89. The you know the North, North Stars, Stars left, left yeah. and you know we went what seven years without six seven yeah. years without a without an NHL but, franchise. But the Twins have been here all that time. That's too, true. Yeah, you know, and the, and then there is that Twins fandom, but this is different. This is you, different. Yeah, you, the Twins could be playing a playoff game in Fort Myers. You know, let's say it was the off. You know, the the prime. Tur- you know, the snowbird season. They would not have that kind of now. Some of it is sixteen games, and I know all that stuff, but you would not have that kind of a reaction to uh, uh, that we got yesterday for that Viking game. I mean, it is universal. I'm not even Minnesota, and I can sense it just from my Minnesota acquaintances down here, and from being at that bar yesterday. It is. It's different. It's completely different. The Vikings and I, you know, there's reasons sixteen games a year and stuff, but people's self worth is almost tied up into the Vikings much more than any other sport. It's it's uh it's a interesting thing. And it's it's always as I said, it's always been a curiosity to me because I yeah. never had I never had that. I'm at the age where uh unless you decided to get on board with Fran Targan and and Van Brocklin uh in the early 60s and I don't know how many people did if you're my age you come from the the gopher and I certainly lost my gopher love years ago but the the this viking thing is generational it's passed along and I think it goes back to Bud Grant and mm. how noble we saw that collection of vikings back then are, are they do you think the vikings are are they closer to being sort of like the Red Sox before they won in 04 of the NFL or like more like the Cubs? Because the Red Sox were sort of the, you know, all were just cursed mm. and the curse of the Bambino and all yeah. this stuff. But the Cubs were like, the Cubs would lose 100 games a year and they would mm. still pack Wrigley Field. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I think that was a tourist attraction. I don't, I don't even know if the, the Vikings... Probably by the Red Sox because they're the biggest team in the region, you know. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't even know if that's it. I guess I'm, I, I don't even know. It's it is the the fact that that it covers so many more people than you would imagine. Yeah. You know that, that you know what I, I guess what I'm saying is is people who don't who don't live their life as fanatical sports fans are still fanatical about the vikings and uh it's uh it's uh, it's a really interesting thing and we have made so much about this curse 
Yeah, they weren't cursed in the Super Bowl. They got beat by four great teams. Okay, right. yeah. They, they, there's, and, and they've, you know, they had Blair Walsh miss a field goal. Okay, so what? That team wasn't going to win the Super Bowl, and uh, you know, the Gary Anderson is is a is a tremendous moment as far as heartbreaks concerned, but it's they've also pulled them out of the fire through the years here and there. I used to say Bud coached luck, you know, so. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's, I don't know. It's, uh, it is an interesting thing for me. And as a guy who's been in sports for 50 years and the Vikings have embarrassed us with their behavior more than any other franchise. Right. But we still love them. So it's, uh, it's, it is, it's, I've always found it interesting and I haven't figured it out. So, but more power to him. I certainly figured out yesterday. I mean, that's, uh. That is a uh, fantastic moment in Minnesota sports. There's no doubt about it. We'll be back with Mr. Ben Gessling. Here on the ride with Royce on Twitter, he's lovable almost. On 1500 ESPN, talking purple right now on the ride with Royce. Ben Gessling covers the Vikings. Here with Ben Gessling. Ben the Gessling joining us now. It's Viking Star Tribune beat writer Ben Gessling. Ben Gessling is with us. All right, uh, Ben. Uh, I was in. I was. I had covered a number of Masters in the early '80s, and then in 1986, I was home in my living room when Jack Nicholas was winning it. Yeah. And I said, "I'm glad I'm not there because I don't know if I'm good enough to write it. <laughs> you know, this is too good." Yeah, and, and I saw on your Twitter feed last night, you kind of had that same feeling yesterday. That's a lot of pressure on it, on a guy. People think we're just a bunch of raving egomaniacs who uh, who wait, you know. it It's tough to be adequate to describe what happened yesterday. It, it is, but it's also a privilege to be in that spot. I, yes. I, I walked up to the press box and thought, you know, being the – I mean, for whatever it means in 2018, I, I still think being the beat writer at the paper of record in a situation like that means something because it's going to be that front page. It's going to be that story that yes. gets framed in, in people's basements. It's going to get framed in bars. And I kind of thought that as I sat down. It's like, okay, this is uh, this is an important one. you got to be ready to step up and do it. And uh, Hopefully I did that. People can decide that for themselves. But uh, it was a fun one to write. Well, uh, when the Red Sox won the World Series in 2004, they had Dan Shaughnessy, who was a columnist, but they assigned him to write the page 1A overview game story, right? And I called him up and did a column on the pressure he felt doing that after it was over, and they'd won their first World Series uh, in 86 years. But it is, uh, you're right. I mean, it's, uh, it is, uh, that is something that, uh, uh, and I, I said, and Manny and I were talking about this earlier, in two minutes, they went from what in the hell is wrong with these chokers? How did they lose this lead to the great, perhaps the greatest moment tied with Kirby Puckett's home run in Minnesota sports history? So that's that's what makes this whole thing amazing is in two minutes, they went from bums to heroes. Yeah, and it, it really... You know, it, you think it's going to be the, the typical Vikings loss, and then they, they kick a field goal to go back ahead. Yes. You know, even that, 
and it has not certainly been a guarantee in, in Vikings playoff history, as we well know, and then lose the lead again. And, and really on the last play, if the defensive back makes a tackle there, Marcus Williams, yes. the game should have been over. I mean, it, it, it was the kind of mistake defensively that you would typically associate with a Vikings player in the history of their playoff runs. And if that doesn't happen, if he stays on his feet, wraps them up or even slows them down enough for the clock to run or somebody else to come in and help make the tackle, it doesn't happen. And then you're talking about how they blow the 17 nothing lead, where does it rank in the the worst Vikings playoff losses in history. And all of that starts if the guy makes a textbook tackle. It's, it's and we're talking about amazing how it happens. What happened on fourth and ten? We're talking. How did we right. let him complete yep. that thirteen pass yard pass to Mortimer Snurd or whatever his name was? So yeah, it, it it was amazing. And that, of course, Maddie and I were talking earlier. That's what makes this a a great uh, occupation. Uh, sports is be something great to follow. That uh, you know you know what's going to happen unless it doesn't. That's that's my theory. So. Yep. Were you a little surprised? I know Breeze is the greatest, but you were you were a little surprised at how they moved the ball in the second half against this defense? I, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I, I guess I was only surprised in the sense that they had so much success shutting him down in the first half. Yes. Like, I mean, you see teams start to make adjustments, and you see teams eventually get to a point where they can make some things happen. And, I, you know, I, a guy like that is going to be hard to, to shut down the whole day. And I, I do think that, you know – Sometimes when you get behind and it's just let's not overthink it, except for the one very notable example with Sean Payton, um, let's just go out and play. Sometimes that works better. You get guys playing a little more freely. They're just out there reacting, and, and things tend to, to happen, and they have some success doing it. So, uh, you know, they were so dominant in the first half that you kind of thought, okay, they should be able to at some point here get a stop to make this a non-issue, make, you know, the Saints come back eventually become, you know, only a subplot. But the fact that they weren't able to do that, I guess, was a little bit surprising and probably a little bit concerning. But, you know, again, it's Drew Brees, the guy's a future Hall of Famer, and, and uh, some of it is certainly credit to him as well. No, Philadelphia is going to try to play exactly like they played to beat Atlanta, keep it uh, snot-nosed and low-scoring, and uh, they're going to try to beat you 15-12, to 12, don't you think? Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, I think the fact that, you know, it would be a different story if they had Carson Wentz. They don't, and they're going to go in there and try to shut the Vikings running game down, and they have the best run defense in the league, and, and you try to go from there and, and hopefully, for their sake, try to pressure Case Keenum into making some mistakes. And we saw it again on Sunday. I, mean, it was, I was sitting there in the press box. He threw the ball away to, uh, to Kyle Rudolph for the field goal, and you know, you're sitting there throwing balls off the back of his foot. You're like, if, if this guy's making throws like this in a playoff game, can you trust him with the future of your franchise and think about paying him? And then, lo and behold, he comes back and, <laughs> and makes the throw that's going to go down in Vikings history. And then you're like, how can they possibly let this guy go? So it's it's that small of a margin sometimes. Hey, Diggs getting all the uh, credit and uh, certainly uh, deserve, got with some assistance from uh, Marcus Williams and deserves it. But that catch Thielen made to get him that field goal to put him ahead was uh, unbelievable. I mean, that guy's uh, his uh, his ability to uh, snatch a ball out of traffic is amazing. Yeah, he, he and that really is the thing that has always kind of been there for him. I was talking to him last week for a story I did, you know, just on the, the, the 18 and 180th version of or whatever it is of, of the Adam Thielen ride yes. to, to greatness. But I was talking to him about 
growing up, and he, he said, I was always able to make great catches. I was always able to run good routes. It's just was a matter of getting bigger and faster. And talking to his high school coaches, he said, yeah, he was doing that back then, too, or he'd go off for a ball and kick it away from people, and you're like, how did he come down with that? But, you know, that one, I mean, when he, there was a penalty, I think, on the play that they, they would have gotten a few yards, but to get the yeah. big play there, I mean, it was right in front of Mike Zimmer. You see Mike Zimmer, you know, slapping him on the butt after the play, and, you know, that they had to have that at that, mo- at that moment, and, and he's made so many of those catches for them this year that, you know, Biggs ends up being the big star yesterday, but, you know, really that catch set up that field goal was as big as anything else they had up to the Stephon Diggs play. Was the head coach giddy still? He was giddy afterwards yesterday. Is he Was he still giddy this afternoon? I would imagine that he's a quick guy to get over his giddiness, huh? Yeah, yeah I guess I would say he was, he had come down from giddy. He was not grouchy, um, which, you know, sometimes you get, but, uh, yeah. I, you know, generally on Mondays he's in a fairly decent mood. He's, at least with us, he's fairly introspective and is, you, you generally get the most, <laughs> however revealing he is, you, you get the most out of him on Mondays, I, I generally feel like. So he seemed like he was in a good mood, but it was the message was, hey, you know, we've got to come back to, to earth here. The funny thing is he said when they watched that play, the Diggs play in the film session, it was more with the defense talking about, hey, here's what not to do. I mean, Marcus Williams becomes yeah. a teaching tool to say, you know, don't do that. So it, it was not... Let's go back and watch it again. He said the play's been on a hundred times. And guys talked about, you know, staying up till three or four in the morning because they were so wired with the adrenaline from the game. And Xavier Rhodes said he was running the play on ESPN all all night. And so I I don't think there was a a need to go back and, and relive that some more. It was more let's go back. Let's find out what we did so that this game had to be close enough to even need that play. And let's get ready for Philadelphia. Ben Gasly's with us. Uh, ben. Uh... The thing, you know, the kids getting a lot of salutes for uh, standing up and uh, and talking uh, briefly about it, uh, but he still hasn't told us what the hell he was doing. He said, yeah. uh, "I mean, I, I have no idea what was going through his mind." My only thought was, and he didn't say this, was he wanted to make sure he kept them in bounds. But then again, uh, there's also the view that he wanted to make sure he didn't get there early. But he jumped out of the guy's way. Yeah, I mean, he really didn't give a great explanation to that. I mean, the one thing he said, like you alluded to there, is that he said, I thought it might have been might have gotten there a little early, and I didn't want to interfere with them, because obviously if you interfere, then it's an untimed down, and, and then they're in field goal range, they kick a field goal to win the game. So if, if you do that, it's just as bad. But, you know, really, all he had to do was stay on his feet, wait for Diggs to get the ball, and then drive in and at least hold them up enough to, to keep him in bounds. So, yeah, I mean, his, his, the only thing he came close to saying is that I thought I was there early, I was worried about interference, but he didn't really – I don't think he had an explanation for it because I think he knew how badly he screwed up. It was just, I think, a, a – I don't know if you call it a brain fart, but it, it was you know diving when you shouldn't have tried to dive. You, you just and the, down and then he manages to knock over the guy who would have caught Diggs yeah. while Diggs was starting to get up. That was what was amazing about it. It's, the only uh, chance he had to uh, – the only chance the Saints had to, to catch Diggs at that point was when the other corner coming from behind might yes. have been able to run him down. I'm not sure that he would have been able to well, do that. But he was close enough that Diggs had to get himself back up, basically. So, uh, yep, yep. You know. Yeah, if there was any shot at it, it would have been there. And, and then, yeah, if you keep him in bounds, the game's over. But uh, it's 
you know, that will all, I'm sure, be lost to history, and Stephon Diggs will, will be idolized for all time. It was a great play, great catch, great run, but, uh, yeah, it's Marcus Williams. If the Vikings win the Super Bowl, Marcus Williams is probably uh, their version of, of Nate Poole for the Packers in 03. He should probably get a key yeah. to the city or a ring or something. Is it the uh, loudest you have ever heard a stadium? Yeah, as he's I racing, would. as he's racing for the end zone. Yeah, I, the the two that come to mind for me that are as loud as that, and I, sometimes I think in, in smaller arenas you you hear this a little bit. I remember being at the Verizon Center when Alex Ovechkin scored. Uh, they were playing the the, the first time they played the Penguins in mm-hmm. I think it was the Western or the Eastern Conference semifinals. He had a hat trick, and when he scored that goal in a game where both him and Sidney Crosby had hat tricks. The play sounded like the roof was going to come off. And then when the Gophers scored uh, at the XL Energy Center, when Matt Kowalska scored to send that uh, national championship game with Maine to overtime, those are the two I remember that are comparable. But I think the number of people and the sheer just surprise of the moment, it was excitement, but it was also just, I can't believe this is happening. Uh, and, and the sustained noise throughout the day, it was, I was almost like every time the, the Vikings went on offense. It's like, okay, good. My ears get a break. It, it was really an incredible environment, and you know, the the video of all the stuff at the end of the game is it's worth rewatching because the energy in there was just something incredibly remarkable. Okay, one last thing. Uh, how much of a downgrade is it if Sendejo's uh, not playing? Uh, what what what? How much does that hurt him? I think against the Eagles, it hurt them because he is. He's a good run defender. He's a guy that can get up in the box and make stops. And and the Eagles really, especially now with no Carson Wentz, kind of live with those running backs. I mean, whether it's Jay Ajayi or LeGarrette Blunt or Wendell Smallwood or Clement. I mean, they've got a number of running backs that they they turn to. And I think having him able to be up there and help in the box is a a benefit. I mean, Anthony Harris has played well when they needed him. He, He started that game. I guess the Rams when when Sanejo was hurt and and played well that day he made the play that kind of helped that game stay comfortable for the Vikings and helped shut down a pretty good offense. But I I do think in a game where it's, the footing could be an issue, having guys that are are able to help in the running game would help. And if he's not able to go, that would be a concern. Mike Zimmer did say today he's feeling better, so we'll see how that progresses throughout the week. But that's certainly one to keep an eye on. All right, Ben. Thank you, sir. Sounds good, Pat. We'll talk All to you right. next week. Ben Gessling, uh, Star Tribune uh, Viking writer. We shall return with John Height. Here's John Height with a sports update. Thank you, Patrick. This update sponsored by Indeed.com. Are you hiring? Join the over 3 million businesses that use Indeed.com for hiring. Post your next job opening on the world's number one job site, Indeed.com. Vikings moving on to the NFC Championship game after yesterday's improbable last-second win. They will play the Eagles on Sunday. Kickoff for that ballgame, 540-hour time. AFC Championship game right before the Viking game, Jacksonville at New England. The two winners, of course, move on to the Super Bowl. Uh, by the way, no official word today on Andrew Sandejo, who suffered that concussion yesterday. Uh, Xavier Rhodes, who's not a doctor, said he talked to Sandejo and thought he'd be fine and will play. Uh, also, Rhodes, very angry about that hate yesterday during the game. He changed his mind today. He said he saw it on film, and he said it was not a dirty hit. He said Thomas was running his route. He just braced his hit. At that moment, I thought it was dirty, but as I looked at it on film, it wasn't dirty 
at all. Xavier was a little out of his mind there for a while in the second half. He doesn't like it when a guy catches a pass next to him. Yeah, and Thomas, Thomas, got, Thomas got him a couple times. And Thomas he didn't like is it too a handful, much. man. He's yeah, good. He's, he's really good. Uh, meanwhile, CBS Sports and NFL Network reporting that Pat Shermer, the Vikings offensive coordinator, will be the Giants' next head coach. In fact, CBS Sports calling it a virtual lock. Mm-hmm. It's been 12 seasons since ABC was regularly broadcasting the NFL. The network, of course, had Monday Night Football until 2005. Uh, currently, ABC is the only one of the major four broadcast networks that doesn't air the NFL, but that might change next year. John Orend in the Sports Business Journal says the network is expected to place a bid on Thursday Night Football, one of the packages for the upcoming season. So when does the new bidding start? Is that uh, are, are these contracts aren't up yet? I did they just sign a bunch of them? I, I thought th- the Thursdays though have been year to been year, haven't they? And, yeah, maybe that's it. Okay, uh, nice sign. Bring back Car Dandy and Cosell, and I'll watch <laughs> a drunk Cosell and Dandy. I want that. A nice signing made official by the Twins today. Right-handed reliever Addison Reed agreeing to a two-year deal worth just under seventeen million dollars with the Twins uh, to make room on the uh, roster. They've cool, designated cool. lefty Buddy Boshears for release oh, or assignment. No. So, uh, Buddy, man's managed to survive last year after having the worst spring in the history of Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reed, by the way, has spent time with the White Sox, Red Sox, Mets, and Diamondbacks. A good season last year. 2.84 ERA and 77 appearances with the Red Sox and Mets. Also had 19 saves. Best season, he had a career-high 40 saves with the White Sox back in 2013. Justin Morneau officially retiring this Wednesday. Twins will hold a retirement news conference that afternoon. It was announced last week that Morneau will be a special assistant for the ball club. Uh, Giants get Andrew McCutcheon from the Pirates in the trade today. Give up young pitcher Kyle Crick and outfielder Brian Reynolds, their fourth-ranked prospect. McCutcheon will be a free agent after the upcoming season. How old is he? Only 29, did you say? Uh, 29, I think. I don't have it yeah. in this story, but okay. when I read it before. <laughs> the Giants said, hey, we've gone too many years without winning a World Series. We better go stock <laughs> well, up. What they win? They had the worst, damn near the worst record in baseball this they, year. Yeah. I think they did. Their offense was brutal. Oh, horrible. Yeah. Well, with Longoria and Posey yeah, and him in the yeah. middle there, that should help a little bit, mm-hmm. I would think. And the Timberwolves have signed Emil Jefferson to a two-way contract. That would allow him to spend at least 45 days with the Wolves. 24-year-old Jefferson is with the Iowa Wolves right now, averaging 18 points a game, leads that league with a 13.1 average in rebounds. 6'9 forward was undrafted out of Duke last spring. Well, the way Tibbs has been using the hell out of that bench lately, we could use another guy, damn it. Tibbs using the bench too often, man. Are we mad at him for using too much bench now? Too much bench. All right. Gophers, man. All right. Oh, I'm okay, sorry. go ahead. I'm just going to say men's basketball. What time are we playing Hated Penn State? Uh, that, uh, I believe that was, boy, I looked at it earlier. I think it was an 8 o'clock start. Uh, okay. oh, don't hold me to that, but uh, they're okay. at Penn State. Well, if you if you want to really learn to hate basketball, watch that game tonight. Okay. <laughs> All right, you'll, you'll never watch another basketball game again. All right, thank you. You bet. The ride with Royce now continues. It's time for late hits. T so good at using the glass. Now just think now, go back to the first quarter, how many times Teague blew by, whether it was Lillard or anyone who switched. Who takes it home? Gorgeous feed from Jeff T. Teague. Pull up 
three. It's good. I always say, you better make that count. I want to say that. <laughs> you got to get an earful from the bench. There, if you don't. there you go. Uh, Jeff Teague, big game last night as the uh, Timberwolves beat Portland rather easily with uh, those two guards, McCollum and uh, Damian Lillard. But uh, is Damian uh, not taking a lot of interest in defense these days, uh, Manny? What's the, what's the deal, man? Teague uh, kind of ate his lunch, huh? Hello? Hello? Do I got Manny? And uh, anyway, Teague, uh, the, the Timberwolves, they're at Orlando on uh, tomorrow night after winning the five-game, sweeping the five-game uh, road homestand. And uh, they are now tied with San Antonio for the fifth-best record in the NBA. San Antonio got beat today. Uh, so the uh, they're both 29 and 16. Then they go to Houston on Thursday night to play one of those wonderful late night uh, games in the NBA doubleheader in Houston, which has been uh, struggling a little bit lately. So no reason for the Timberwolves not to keep her going. Uh, Patrick, quick uh, on-air production note: uh, we have Tyrone Carter on the line right now. Do you really? want to chat with him? Yeah, what the heck? How long we got here? How we, long we, got, we got? We got some time. We got about we got uh, some twelve time. minutes here. Yeah. Okay. Well, if Tyrone will come on, yeah, we'll love to talk. To he him. is on right now. <laughs> Tyrone, how you doing? How's uh, you had a had you, you had a good MLK day, sir? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I have. Man, I woke up this morning being my son. Uh, what I did is surprise one of my fans, Minnesota Viking fans, that been following me for a long time, and you know she's seventy-four years old. Um, and, you know, seeing that win yesterday, giving these Minnesota fans something to look forward to, man, is, it was delighted, man. You know, so you went over so, to, you went over to drop in on her and say hello and, uh, yeah, give her a thrill. I went, and Yeah, I went over there and, uh, I gave her my playing helmet, man. The helmet I played in really? with the Vikings. And then I gave her, uh, a signed picture of the Super Bowl. Uh, game that we played in and that I played in to continue to bring some more luck. I said, <laughs> so get the spirits right, keep them in. So it was awesome experience, man. And thank God I had an opportunity to do that along with my son on Martin Luther King Day, which, you know, she's a white lady, but, you know, I don't get caught up in the race war or whatnot. I'm, I'm not just a person by their heart and, you know, you just keep slow. And that's what I did, man. It was a great day. Hey, uh, Tyrone, uh, what do you suppose was going through Marcus Williams's head on that last play as a defensive back and a, a, a safety with the Gophers? And uh, what uh, what do you think he was trying to accomplish there? Was he just afraid of hitting him early? What do you, what do you think was going on? Well, to me, I think it looking at him, he was have a place for the physical uh, hitting the defensive receiver without looking there. As you can see, he looked like he just went down too low and even look and even try to wrap up or anything. Uh, it was kind of crazy to see, but at the same time, I'm kind of glad it kind of happened. <laughs> it put my Vikings in the in the NFC Championship game, but you know, it took it a game a little bit, taking away the less physical from the DBs a little bit. Because of the contestant, they keep on thinking about that. At the end of the day, this was physically. At the end of that magnitude, you know, I know I 
just got to get them down the best way I can. I shouldn't have a duck my head like he did, you know, and so that's it, it cost us, cost him the game. I was wondering if he was worried about keeping him in bounds more than he was about getting him tackled. That's, but. that's, 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 that's the thing. you got to be a little safer than understand the situation. And plus, you can see, you know, there's 10 seconds left in the game. You know, you got to protect the sideline. you got to stay deep and do But you got to be some aggressive. And, you know, it's to their, to, their credit, to their credit, that's what happened to them. And, you know, it, it, it may have to advance more. So, you know, can't get caught up in that. And uh, I just truly believe in that. Take their time. And things always happen for so many reasons. And nothing always been on the other side of that ball, which meant you can do things not going your way. But this particular day, they went their way. And everybody thought it was all over. You end up continuing to fight and find a way to win that game, man, with one play. Hey, uh, Tyrone Carter's with us. Tyrone, uh, I talked to you the other day about Drew Brees. Uh, you, that looked familiar to you from your Gopher days watching him in the second half yesterday, I guess. Hey, man. I was like, they're changing. Drew Brees didn't do this again. And more than that, you see how quick they scored. They scored quick points. And, you know, when you go to the this, they look forward to having Drew Brees on their side line up. He's a good quarterback, man. And, that's where you would want to happen, that you put a back fight all the way to the end and put your, your team in chance to win the game. And, you know, he did that. That's sad. The, the, the defense just grabbed him down. But on the end of the day, man, they know Drew is a great player, great competitor, great quarterback. So we just had to make sure we contain him. And, you know, they buried that fast he won the game. But, you know, that just shows you the character of Drew Brees, man. And, you know, the caliber quarterback he had, you know, smart and intelligent, as you can see. You know, he didn't waver. The first half was bad for him, 17 and nothing. Not even putting a press on the board. And come back in the second half and shoot, he nearly won the game. Where were you, you know, where were you when where were you when you saw that Diggs had nothing but open field? Were you uh, what'd you do? what you how high oh, in the air did you jump? <laughs> I was it. I went to the stadium after the game, and uh, I was with the game. He was to my John Randall, Tom uh, Taylor, all the other guys. All the guys were there in the stadium in our legend suite. Into the game and supported my former brothers. And man, it was just I just so mad I wasn't. I had to leave to get to even Taylor to do my show after the game. It started at seven. So, you know, I ended up seeing that in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, uh, Tyrone, thanks for checking in, sir. Thanks, man. All right. All right. Uh, I kind of apologize there, ladies and gentlemen. I, I, the connection wasn't real good here. I don't know how it was back there, but uh, I would have liked to uh, had a little bit of a better connection, a little longer conversation with Tyrone Carter. But, Tyrone uh, Par- Carter, I I had talked to Tyrone uh, last week, uh, I was doing a column on uh, Breeze and how good he was and how good he was when he played against the Gophers, and Tyrone had some uh, good stuff to say. And I also thought he could probably give us a hint as to what the heck the safety might have been, turn- <laughs> uh, safety might have been uh, thinking about. So, uh, anyway, the Timberwolves, we gave you that, and uh, the, uh, the, the Gophers about to play at Penn State after a just second-worst loss 
in the history of Williams Arena, the last uh, when they pl- uh, played Purdue on Saturday. And the, 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 the only loss that beats that is they lost to number one UCLA, uh, ninety to fifty one in nineteen sixty eight, and I believe uh, Kareem Abdul Jabbar then Lou Al Cinder was on that team. So that was their only worst loss that they've had at Williams Arena in the history of the team. Now that said, I think it's time for daily complaints. Now on the ride with Roycey, let's hear the boys' daily complaints. You want my complaint first, sir? Yes, give me your complaint first. There's, it's hard to complain on a day like today, but uh, what do you have? Well, my my daily complaint is with I I think I think sometimes we you know when we look at what happened yesterday, I think sometimes people get a little bit too caught up in the wow now we've got to we've got to stay focused now on Philadelphia. We've got to we've got to turn our attentions to Philadelphia. No, listen, folks. Mike Zimmer and the players have to turn their attention to <laughs> yes, Philadelphia. Right? Yeah, right. We as fans and media <laughs> members and consumers, we can talk about this all week if we want to. It has nothing to do with how the Vikings are going to perform against the Eagles. They have to focus on the Eagles now going forward here. We don't have to focus on the Eagles yet. That's no, and complain. in fact, uh, you can be talking about this play five years from now. Yes. Can, uh, that's, that's fine. It will be. It is, at this moment, ladies and gentlemen, the most memorable play in Viking history. There's there's no doubt about it. uh, There's been others, but you cannot compare a Hail Mary to Ahmad Rashad that puts you into the playoffs with actually winning your first ever playoff game in your $1.15 billion stadium when you have your best chance to go to the Super Bowl since 1998. Yes. Uh, you know, and you have a tremendous chance to go to the Super Bowl for the first time in 41 years. And that's what happened yesterday. So it's not, uh, you know, it's not a play that you you don't have to worry about. It. You're right. You don't have to worry about the Eagles. And, Let and the Vikings you, worry about the Eagles. And you know what else, too, Pat? I don't even think, now, if the Vikings win the Super Bowl, it'd be great. I mean, everybody here obviously would be happy about it, but I don't think they need to win the Super Bowl to sort of validate what happened yesterday. No, I mean, you can't. No, no, you no. cannot put a price on what happened yesterday. It's it's something we've never seen before, and it is highly unlikely that we'll ever see something like that happen again. Uh, Jarius Wright was on with uh, Judd and Phil today, and uh, they played that little soundbite earlier today, and. And Jarius basically said, I don't know when we're going to see that again. And I think the universal answer is never. This never. was this was the equivalent to the Music City Miracle. Yes. With, yeah, with the yeah, Titans and the Bills. And, 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 and which, that by Titans the way, team, they still talk about. Yeah. And the, that Titans team, they went on to the Super Bowl and they, they ended up losing the Super Bowl to the Rams. It didn't change anything about the Music City Miracle. So No. Okay. Uh, let's hear that touchdown uh, one more time from this gentleman, please. Steps into it, passes, caught, digs, sideline, touchdown, unbelievable, Vikings win it. Okay, somebody pointed this out very quickly, and we'll see you again tomorrow night. Jack Buck, right? Correct. This is the kid. Yep. Describing the Kirby Puckett, we'll see you tomorrow night, 
moment in Viking history. Yeah. He did fine, didn't he? I, I thought he did very good. I, I don't thought his think, call was fantastic. I, I don't think he showed any anti-Viking prejudice in describing that touchdown. Heavens Do you? No. no. So I think can it's quite we now, the opposite, actually. Can we now get over the fact that he called Randy Moss out for being a jackass in 2005, January of 2005? <laughs> can we get over that and accept the fact that this guy is a really good announcer? And has can been we, for a very long time. And that is why he gets these uh, tremendous assignments that he gets. And I always really appreciate the guys that can do multiple sports, and he can do. Now, golf, they got him surrounded by dummies, but he's (laughs) fine on golf. He's fantastic on baseball, and he's fantastic on football. And there's they don't just put him on the number one team because he's some clown. Right. Uh, get over you. You know you loved your guy Randy, but Randy was a jackass and that day. And it's been it's been thirteen Green years. Thirteen get years. Over it. It's yes. over. And uh, you know he gave us an unbelievable. Do you want anything more than that? He sounded to me like uh, he enjoyed the magnitude of calling a play like that. Uh, and wasn't offended that the Vikings had won the game like uh, people. Uh, well, remember, remember, people used to rip him for not getting excited enough. Yes. And then when he started getting excited, people were like, "Oh, he's he's too excited. Just uh, call the game, Joe." Yeah. Whatever. Well, anyway, Joe Buck, uh, fine job yesterday, and Kevin Harlan did a fine job too. Uh, we uh, shall uh, be back tomorrow. Uh, this ride with Racy. Thanks, Manny.